The Right Time with Bomani Jones is presented by YouTube TV. Try it free today at youtube.com slash NBA23. New users only. Terms apply. Cancel anytime. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you about another great ESPN podcast, The Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny. Every week during the offseason, Mina and her expert guests will get you ready for the fall with team-by-team previews, X-Factors, offensive and defensive rankings, and more. That's The Mina Kime Show. Listen where you're listening to this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for watching us on YouTube. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. It is that time of week where we have a guest join us. Check him out at Anscape, also on Around the Horn. He's also got a podcast series coming out very soon. Anscape Rap Stories is Anscape's first ever podcast. 12 episode Ben Style is launching on June the 1st with David Dennis hosting. David, tell them right quick a little bit about the podcast. I want to get back to it later, but since I mentioned it right quick, you know. All right. So, yeah, Rap Stories is 12 episodes. I'm interviewing a different artist about one specific rap album that they have made. Deep diving into this one project from beginning to end. You know, what they loved, what they didn't love, what aged great, what they wish they could change. So it's a deep dive into 12 different rap albums throughout the season. All right. Put a pin in that because I want to get back to All that. Right. I, have, I, yes, have, I have lots of questions. But the first thing okay. that I did want to ask you is, um, and I don't know if you paid any attention to this, but I guess this is the question. So, like, after the Warriors lose, do you still watch basketball? So we go, we start, we go in there. We're doing that. We're coming out I, the gate with that I, I'm just asking. I didn't know. I didn't want to ask you about basketball if the season was already over for you. I'm just saying, you know, like this is, you know, this is a new time. It's my second year, at ES, you know, doing ESPN stuff, doing TV stuff. It's my first time experiencing a warriorless finals <laughs> run. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I don't know what to do with my, I don't know what to do with my hands, man. Like, what are we doing here? Like, I was, you know, I was on uh, around the horn yesterday, and Woody was arguing about Denver, and Sedano was arguing about arguing about Miami, and I was like, man. This must be what it's like when you're rooting for, you know, when you're not rooting for a team in the finals. It's, it's, it's a foreign concept to me just watching other people argue about their team. It's crazy. Now, for those of you who don't know, uh, the first time David Dennis and I were in the same building, we didn't know we were in the same building. We didn't know each other. It was in Raleigh in 2008 where I was covering mm-hmm. the NCAA tournament for what turned out to be the Steph Curry show. And David Dennis went to Davidson and was there in the crowd, I imagine, for that game. Because, I mean, it was just in Raleigh. You'd be silly not to wind up going for it. So, like, you know, y'all y'all was beige bros way back. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I was telling folks, you no, know, we was out there on the beer pong table. I was original Splash Brother. And we was, <laughs> you know, getting it in. So, yeah, that's, that's my guy from way back uh, from when he first uh, showed up on Davidson campus. And they said, he's coming to play basketball. I met him. They said, you got to meet this guy, Steph Curry. He's coming to play basketball. Uh, and I was like, cool when like what year like four years from now because this kid is clearly 12 <laughs> years old and they're like no he's coming now and then he scored 25 points in the first half of the red white game and i was like oh i get it i see what's going on here but uh, i love you have to meet him as if you weren't going to meet him anyway because they're like <laughs> right. black people at davidson and i'm sure you all know each other yes there were yes there were there weren't a lot so it was like <laughs> we gotta you know when he popped on campus it was like oh okay this is we'll see we'll see what's going on. But he was just a regular dude for like most of his time there. I mean, when I graduated, it was right at the end of the Elite Eight run, and he was just starting to do. You know, I think he went to the ESPYS for the first time that year. So I, I graduated before. You know, the next year was really when everybody started the season paying attention to him. But he was like a regular dude up until that run, which is kind of crazy. Uh, what you think about uh, this whole Bob Myers situation? I think this is a much bigger deal than people want to give it credit for being. Like. What they actually put together is not a lot of his stuff. Like, we don't want to pretend. Mm. I mean, there's no way around that. But that was also some incredible GMing at about three or four different levels. And when I hear, I think uh, the owner's son might get the job, I'm like, ooh, 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 Steph, have you you started looking around (laughs) at the other 29 teams? You might want to look into that. Well, I mean, I I think that there's discussion of, like, that this has to be internal. I think that that seems to be, like, where – everybody feels is that there's warriors culture and you got to have somebody who understands that. And so the idea of internal seems good now. I mean, if 
Steph and company are going to have a problem with what's been going on. That's probably been going on for the last couple of years. And they've been doing the, we're going to build the young guys and build for now type of thing. Like that seems to have been, obviously it's not working. I mean, they won the championship based on the talent that they built around them, but the Wiseman, the Moody, the Kaminga thing, even to an extent this season, the Jordan Poole thing have all sort of not worked at various levels. And those are four roster spots that if they went to even marginally okay three and D guys or role players or people with high basketball IQ, this season turns out way differently. So there's a lot of stuff that they got to figure out. I mean, I don't understand the aprons totally. Like the aprons thing seems like a huge, huge deal <laughs> that's going to really impact them. And that may be one of the reasons why Bob Myers was like, I'm out of here. All right. I was just watching uh, something that uh, Simmons and Rosillo put up for the ringer about the apron mm-hmm. situation. Oh, it's going to be a thing. The issue with yeah. it is not so much what happens, like how much more it costs to get players like tax spending above those lines. Mm-hmm. Cause Lakeup has demonstrated. I'll be that right. right. You know, he's got this arena that prints money. And I think he just likes being the guy that has the best team. The limits to how far you go. But I don't think that the money was going to be the holdup. The issue that you get once you get beyond these aprons. And for those who don't know, the aprons are, it's like you get, there's the, there's the salary cap line. And then there's a line above that, at which point you have to start paying the luxury tax. And then there's a line over that. And these lines are called aprons. And that Mm -hmm. once you get up to different points at how much you spend, what they stop letting you do is trade those far off draft picks, for example, limits Mm -hmm. on the exceptions that you can use to sign players like the mid-level exception and stuff like that. So basically making it the way the NBA salary cap had always worked is that even if you had gotten to that top, it still allowed for ways for teams to improve themselves and teams right. to get better, right? Often by getting veteran players who are willing to take a little bit less, but come on, you weren't going to spit in their faces and offer them the veterans minimum. Well, now you're going to have to offer a lot of those dudes the veterans minimum in order yeah. for them to get in. Now with the Warriors, and I have been very critical of the play for now, play for later strategy also. Mm. However, I think that we are seeing why they thought they needed to do that come up in this year where right. – I have to find a different word to use because I keep saying Clay Thompson is finished and that's going too far. But for being the kind of player that the Warriors need him to be, to be a championship contender, he's finished. Um, <laughs> uh, I can make a very similar argument about Draymond Green just because he's such a non-credible offensive threat at this point, And that doesn't matter as much in the regular season, but it comes up in the playoffs. They mm-hmm. needed young dudes who were going to come up and be getting themselves into a position to replace those guys. Or they needed somebody that was going to replace those guys, and you weren't going to do that with just some 3 and D guy. You needed somebody to develop into a very good NBA player. They don't have those guys, and now they're stuck with old Clay and old Draymond, and that's where I look at the idea of the internal hire. Where this gets tricky is what they might need is a wrecking ball because I don't know if there's any way to keep maintaining this thing for as long as they've maintained it and get to the places that many, including Stephen Curry, would like for this team to be. Yeah, I mean, but there's just like the the that is sort of the logical thing in a lot of ways of like let's blow this thing up, build around stuff. But like I just don't I just don't see a world in which there's Stephen Clay and Draymond are not just on this team forever, barring one of them just deciding to leave based on, you know, how much they get paid. And I don't think anybody's really gonna offer them more money than the Warriors are gonna offer them. You know, so I just think that that unit is there. And to your point about the draft picks, it just comes down to the point that they whiffed on the draft picks, you know, like you got Wiseman. And Halliburton was there, you know, and you think about what that could mean. Like, there is no reason that you have these three picks and basically all three of them are unplayable in the playoffs. One of them you traded for one of those mid-level exception guys that you had last year. You know, like you had the those marginal signings is what really got them a championship or got them to those levels and has always sustained the Sean Livingston's, the Otto Porter Jr.'s, those guys have really been, you know, sort of these these integral pieces. But you drafted and missed because you cannot play these guys two or three years into their careers, and that's really sort of what doomed them this season. Yeah, see, I don't blame them for not taking Halliburton because literally no one would have taken Halliburton with the second pick in the draft, right? Like, that's one of those where it's kind of like, damn, why didn't you take Giannis? With the first pick yeah, in the draft. Yeah. And it's like, okay, but nobody was going to take Giannis with the first pick in the draft. They, the Warriors, and it works out this way sometimes. I get why they did it, but they tanked for a bad draft. 
Yeah. This mm-hmm. happens from time to time. This is the draft that's in front of you. And what they wound up with was there were only, to me, two reasonable players to take at the number two pick after Anthony Edwards was gone. And that was either Wiseman or LaMelo Ball. Now, I think LaMelo Ball, there was a better argument for taking him than taking yeah. Wiseman. But have you ever seen James Wiseman in person? It's a big. That's a big guy. You ain't picking nobody else. Like, like right. I saw James Wiseman at Summer League. I was like, oh, look at that. That, goes, that right there is the number yeah. two pick of the draft. Well, I mean, I think in a vacuum, yeah, in a vacuum, you're picking him because you have time to develop him and do that, you know. But the Warriors were, I think they were still thinking, again, this two-timeline thing is why they picked just a traditional number two pick, right? Instead of thinking, who was the guy that we can get the most from now and you trade down to get a Halliburton? I never thought Lonzo Ball quite fit with this Warriors team just because, you know, you got another sort of small guy back there you got you know defensively you didn't know what you were getting and you know I wasn't too sure about that but also to your point about the tanking for the bad draft this tank was a last minute tank (laughs) you know like Clay um you know gets hurt Steph gets hurt it's a last minute tank and that they do it in the middle of the season so it wasn't like a planned thing they had to do and they missed the picks you know like you missed the picks and and it's hard to give Bob Myers too much of a hard time with that because you also within that same time span turned KD leaving leaving for nothing into Andrew Wiggins, right? So he was doing some like magical maestro work through this, which he's done a lot. There's a lot of luck that we can say that happened for this light years thing, Steph's contract being the, the number one thing. But there was also a moment where they sat in a room and said, conventional wisdom says trade Clay for Kevin Love, and they did not do that, right? Which yeah. is all logic and all, you know, thinking about how the game goes, and there's not a lot of luck involved in that. Yeah, and like- I... The thing with LaMelo to me is that uh, you talk about LaMelo being little. Six, seven ain't little. Like, the one thing, if you're going to yeah. have a guard with Steph, it needs to be a big guard. And I think, and this will seem ironic to a lot of people, because of that daddy that he mm-hmm. has, LaMelo mm-hmm. would have adapted to what needed to be done, right? Like, LaMelo, mm-hmm. those ball boys, you're not going to have a problem of them not doing what you say, right? Like, that's right. not uh. – like, like LaVar had all his issues and everything else and what he thought about these guys. But now, of course, well, damn, if if LeVar thought that uh, Lonzo was better than Steph Curry, then I guess uh, (laughs) there might have been a dilemma with with, uh, LaMelo next to him on that, I suppose. But no, I think this is just, there's an emotional attachment to dudes that got old. Yeah, yeah. You know? And Steph managed to age in a way that I didn't think he'd be able to age into. Like, I did not think that he, he, he is a better player who doesn't, like, He's never going to play as well as he did in 2016, if that makes sense. But I would mm-hmm. argue that he's a better player now than he yeah. was in 2016. But, hey, man, they kept this thing together longer than anybody can typically keep a thing together with a core. That they basically, yeah. they touched it to add Kevin Durant, but then after that, it's basically the same core that they had in 2015. Nobody does that, right? Nobody can yeah. try to pull this for eight years. It's time for it to come down, except Steph is so good and he's not a dude that you would think would want to leave. I think there's great cost to both sides if he would want to leave, but I don't see how you turn this into a champion again while also doing the touchy-feely stuff that you want to do. I don't have an answer for it. Like, Stephanie more LeBron and him. LeBron had Clay and Draymond <laughs> out of there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, shoot. After game four, they were talking about LeBron – Maybe trying to get AD out of there. Like, LeBron does not care <laughs> how – like, how t- – LeBron – was on the private jet when with Dwayne Wade making the call, like, yeah, I'm out of here. <laughs> you know, like, that's just what he does. He got and, Dwayne to Cleveland and was like, hey. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like going to your house. You can't come to my house. Like, that's what that, that's exactly what that was. Like, you cook and I'll bring a drink and I'll come yes. over. You come to my house. I don't like when you're over here. The vibes are bad. And so, but Steph's not going to do that. Like, he's an uber loyal dude. And, and with all of this said, all of the disaster that this team was on the road and all that stuff, they were still in the second round of the playoffs, man. You know, like there was, this was not, the wheels have not quite fallen off in a way that say the Lakers did when they gave Kobe those two years for at 50 million or whatever, you know, like that, the wheels are still, there's still like ways where you can squint and look and say the right moves, a little bit of luck. And this team could still be right there. I mean, a lot of that, to your point, is on the fact of, like, how bad is this clay thing? You know, like, really, how bad is this clay thing? 
And it could be just a few bad games or bad half of the season, or this could really be the end for Clay. And that's really going to determine a whole lot for what this team looks like. Man, I feel like modern medicine got people, particularly younger than me, all messed up in the head. Right. (laughs) I think that modern medicine has people misunderstanding. Like LeBron James is old. I'd like Mm -hmm. presuming that he's going to be ready to play in game one is silly. A player yeah, his age yeah. that spent months running around on a bad foot where a game is on the line and his foot's hurting so bad in the playoffs that he's laying on the ground taking his shoe off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like this, wh- we're making assumptions about his ability to come back and to stay healthy in spite of the fact that he hadn't played 60 games in the last couple of years or whatever it is. But the Tom Brady's of the world and even honestly just the LeBron James himself got us thinking yeah. these cats can go forever. Clay Thompson is coming into what? This will be year 13 or 14 or whatever it is off mm. of ACL, off an Achilles tear. And we're like, oh, well, maybe he'll be able to get it back together. What are you talking about? No, yeah. it's never. Yeah. It's, this is these things go down. This 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 is just how it works. And he was I mean, he was borderline unplayable by the end of the postseason. That that Lakers series came down to the fact that Jordan Poole and Clay Thompson gave nothing. Like, yeah. that's really what it was. It, it just really came down to the fact that you have one guy who may be deteriorating health with health and then another guy who may just not be that guy that you thought he was, who had, like, one good playoff run, and he may just not be anything. Like, Jordan Poole does things that, like, sometimes you watch him play, and it's like he's doing the most magical things that I've ever seen. And then sometimes he's like, if somebody gave me a basketball and told me to score, I would take that exact same shot that he just took. You know what I'm saying? I would just hurl something at the backboard and pray and pray that it worked out. And his unplayability, not being able to buffer what Clay was doing. And I think a little bit of Wiggins, you know, that time off, I think just not being not being able to replace what's going on with Clay is sort of the central thing that the Warriors are going to have to figure out. Well, and this Wiggins thing, nothing I contend. I don't care what anybody says. He's the same player he was in Minnesota. Just in a place where the $30 million he makes doesn't matter nearly as much anymore as you don't think about him in the context of what he isn't or what he did not live up to. You just think about him for what he can do when he does it with Warriors. But he's still going to be 8 for 18 for 17 (laughs) points, you know, and he can – he can give you some good defense. But I think that when we talk about them whiffing on the draft picks – they also kind of sort of whiffed on Clay. Like they won a championship mm. in spite of it, and you understand why they just had to go ahead and give him the deal. And then the second mm. injury comes after the first one. So it's not like they right. knew that when they gave him the deal. But in the end, they're paying $40 million to a dude that just ain't a $40 million player. And unlike Wiggins, you are expecting him to be like the number two option. But what else you going to do, man? I know. What are you going to do? Like th- that's, that is the thing that comes with the continuity. That's how you have the continuity. That's the thing that comes with this guy has been around for eight years. That's the thing that you have the best player that your franchise will probably ever see being like, I'm going to ride with these two guys. What are you going to do? Like, right. you got to think of that. You got to think of Clay. I, if I'm Bob Myers, if I'm cutting those checks, I'm thinking of Clay's contract, like Steph adjacent contract. You know what I'm saying? Like yes. a Steph addendum. Like I'm paying Clay. $20 million, and I'm actually playing Stephen Curry $80 million a yeah. year. Like, that's how you got to think about it. It's kind of like um, when they gave, when the Clippers gave up all that stuff for Paul George. No, they were giving up all that stuff for Paul George yeah. and Kawhi and Leonard. Kawhi. Yes, like, I was about like, to say the same thing. Yeah, Like, yeah. this is the deal that they wound up making. No, I think, I think that those are all fair points. I think that – I think at some point, though, Steph got to look around, and you may be loyal to them cats, but you trying to win or not. I mean, that's his, that's going to be his his decision. I mean, because also you got to think about what the value, like what is what are the things he values in that and at that level. You know what I'm saying? What yeah. like does he value that fifth? Does he value a fifth championship with whoever, right? New York or whatever, and the same way that he values, I'm going to close this thing out with Clay and Draymond. Well, or try try to figure out how to do it there without those guys. Like the Draymond thing right. is tricky because he is worth a million, a hundred million dollars to the Warriors. And three dollars and seventy five cents to anybody <laughs> else, right? Yeah. Like, like they they are they, there's a codependency in that relationship mm. where right. they need each other, but separated, it, it's it's different. It's tricky. I don't yeah. I don't, and I don't know how long that one keeps up either, right? That's a dude with right. a lot of miles on him. Also, these dudes been playing all these postseasons and everything else. Like, I don't 
I don't know where exactly this thing goes. I would not be surprised if at some point Kerr decides he wants to go on about his business. Um, yeah. Whether it be I just don't feel like coaching anymore or he finds another team or whatever it is. But I do feel like no matter what we do with the Warriors, the way to look at it more than anything else is nobody's kept a thing like this together longer with one one core ever. Mm-hmm. Ever. The closest yeah. you get is the 80 Celtics. I think the, 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 the bird... The, it really picks up in 80 when Mikhail and Parrish come in and then you pair mm. them with Bird and they ran that core out. Like, I guess that's right. It. Yeah. Yeah. And you ran him out to the point where Bird's back gave out when he was, <laughs> you well, know, to be way fair, younger than he did that to himself. Well, yes. Yes. You know, yes. Working a jackhammer in your own driveway <laughs> and throwing out your back. That is, that is Pete Murica right there, dog. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the, that's the, the every, everyday man, the every man right there. That's yes. the Larry Bird thing. But like, but yeah, I mean, it's just it's just what is what is how does Stephen Curry want to see the end of his career, right? It's really what it is. Like, do you want to be win five rings, however you can win five rings, or do you just want to like keep your core and be like, I'm gonna have the three point, I'm gonna be the Wilt Chamberlain of shooting, right? Like where we talk about my records and they say, well, of course Steph is number one, but right. like the actual one we're gonna talk about is who whoever is number two, or I mean. Or do you just hope it just breaks your way? Do you just hope everything breaks your way? And we've seen this before. We've seen these runs to the finals or championship runs where things just work out in your favor. Kawhi hits a shot that rims around. Yeah, you know, like it just worked out, you know. How much does Steph care about what we think? And what I mean by that is, because I do know the answer to that is a lot, mm-hmm. whether mm-hmm. Wh- whether he'll admit this publicly or not. I've got enough. I got it on enough good intel. He does care what we think. But I don't mean this in a bad way, right? Like, I don't mean this in the way that, like, when we talk about Kevin Durant, this is what mm-hmm. we mean. I right. get the feeling with Kevin Durant that Kevin Durant has looked up and realized he did everything we said that he had to do and not once did we form our lips to say, you got the juice now. We yeah, never did, never. right? And yeah. so what's what's the point? Kevin Durant could go win. Like, if I'm him, who cares if I win eight championships? Y'all still ain't going to give yeah. it to me no matter how it goes. Steph, though. Well, K- well KD, I'll just get to this KD point real quick before we get to KD is standless. That's the thing about KD that has always fascinated me. There are no KD fanatics or stands. And that's not – and I don't know what it is, but, like, if I went on Twitter and said – LeBron is trash. My mentions are a, a disaster. If I say KD is trash, it's like people are like, well, actually, he's really good. But yeah. there are no stands. There's no irrational love for KD that they have for any of the stars at his level. Yeah, like he's somehow kind of underrated in a yeah. way while us all recognizing he's like a top 15 player <laughs> in the history of the game. But yeah. Steph is in a position where if he adds a couple more of them notches to the resume, Mm-hmm. The way we view him changes, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've said, Dominique and I were talking about this. You're not going to get me to say that Steph Curry is a better player than LeBron James. Like, it's just mm-hmm. not, like, historically. And I don't think that's something to apologize for. Right. However, that resume, whoo! Yeah, yeah. It looks awful similar, and he did it all on LeBron's watch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think, I don't think we've seen an athlete jumped so many spots in the trajectory in his career. You know, like KD, when he got here, LeBron, when he got here, there was already an assumption we're looking at top 20, right? Probably at some point. Steph jumped, um, and even last year, jumped a bunch of spots just in that one year. And there was even conversation this year of like, all right, if he beats LeBron again and he actually pulls this off, what are we talking about here? You know, and so I think for him – like and, and him and LeBron, I think when those guys are done, like who's the next? What's the next goat conversation? You know, like who are we going to be talking about next? As like this person could possibly be the next best person that um, we've ever seen. Um, he speaks French. We're going to have to skip all the way to there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like going to take a while before that. You know what I'm saying? Like we're going to have to see that work out. The, you know, the, and I, I think that's something that's on his mind. Like that's on. Steph's mind is that like he's been so like he didn't make his first all-star game until what eight years ago you know like and so like this guy was not in there and he's jumping and I think that those are the considerations that he's making as one of the last people I think it's just him and LeBron and I think maybe KD 
are the only people in the league right now who are like, where am I going to fit in this GOAT conversation? And they're working towards that, right? right. And so I think that, def- like, obviously for LeBron, it's the rings, right? It's the Jordan, it's the rings. I don't know exactly what that means, what that looks like for Stephen. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, I'm going to switch gears a little bit just to get the finals in here right fast. You got the Nuggets in four, the Nuggets in three, or the Nuggets in two? <laughs> I think, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's looking I'm, it's looking five-ish. I'll give, I, I, it's hard for me to bet against, it's hard for me to say, like, the Heat are going to get smacked because I've been saying the Heat are going to get smacked for a month and a half now. Yes. I, I thought they were going to beat New York, but I, but I, like, what, like, I've never seen a team where I was like, they're going to blow a 3-1 lead. And then I was like, they're probably going to blow a 3-0 lead too. Like, like I've <laughs> bet so much against this team over the last month and a half. But, man, they ain't seen nothing like Jokic. You know what I'm saying? Like, they ain't seen nothing like that dude. And, like, I mean, if, I mean, Bam would have to have the defensive series of his life and somehow be like, this guy has figured Jokic out in a way that nobody in the history of the world has figured this dude out. And Jimmy Butler would have to be like, I'm figuring out Jamal Murray and we're going to blow up this pick and roll and y'all can't do nothing about it. That's it. That's just like the defensive series of their lives is what's going to have to be. And they're going to have to hope for a miracle defensive thing with Jokic. But man, that team, I saw the the Nuggets numbers, small samples. I saw their numbers against the zone defense, which is the Heat's bread and butter against Boston. They demolished that zone defense. I think 1.2 points per possession. Like they, I don't, there's no answer for that offense, man. Hey, man, I have always been high on Bam, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's kind of the Al Horford of his generation in the sense that he's going to play a career at center when he's not a center, but, yeah. you know, figure it out, make a lot of third team, all the NBAs. A lot of the dorks out here got mad when I say I'd rather have Bam than Carl Anthony Towns, which, I mean, uh-huh. I mean, you guys just keep getting on your horse for uh, this Carl <laughs> Anthony Towns guy. Yeah. Okay, that's what you want to do. However, he's about to be. Food. food <laughs> yeah. I tell yeah. you, food. Like if the the zone, if the I, Jokic with the ball at fifteen, food. You want to go man to man on it with Bam? <laughs> food. I don't know what the solution is going to be because all I see is food. This Jokic is having an old school center playoff run. Like an old school, like a Lajuan run where it's like, I'm going to demolish centers on the way to my championship. Like he took Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns and balled them up into two balls and dribbled them simultaneously <laughs> and dunked them in the basket. Yes. And he had DeAndre Aiden basically wanting to go home after game two. Like DeAndre Aiden was like, I got someplace to be right now. I want to be on the court. My 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 lady's call. I got to go run some errands. He was done with that series. And then Anthony Davis, this was Anthony Davis's chance to be like, I'm the guy. And Jokic was like, no, you gave me one good game and watch me work for the rest of this. Yo, and by the way, Anthony Davis played really well. And Anthony Davis great. was as aggressive <laughs> as I have ever seen him be, right? He was really trying yeah. to give it to Jokic, I promise. He tried extra hard. And he was food too. They had that, that <laughs> couple of minutes where they figured out a little thing that might stop these dudes from being food. Food everywhere you look, it's food, and so I don't Smorgas, know smorgasbord of <laughs> centers. <laughs> I don't know what Spo is gonna cook up. I want to send a shout out to Caleb Martin, um, uh-huh. and so the reason I send a shout out to Caleb Martin is Caleb Martin should have won that Eastern Conference MVP Finals MVP that they started giving out, and that yeah. honestly was the reason why I think that giving out that trophy was a waste of time because they mm-hmm. just go give it to the best player on the team that won because that is generally what we do in basketball. Like baseball has this award for the league championship series, and you go look up look up and down that list, anybody can win it, right? It's kind of the nature yeah. of baseball, but it's not just guaranteed. Like, oh, the Yankees won the series, Aaron Judge is going to be the dude to get it. It's not really how that works. In the NBA, 
This is how this go. Kayla Martin, who, by the way, Mark Gottfried, head coach at NC State, decided, nah, you and your brother, we don't need you. We'd rather somebody else. They go to Nevada. They get them to the Elite Eight. And so apparently he's 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 that guy. Like, he is right. a perfect heat guy. And he out there like, no, I'm supposed to make these shots. Yeah. Shout out to Karan Butler and Jake Cole for getting him the, the, the gig over there with the heat. I mean, like this – I mean, it's going to take something like that. It's going to take like, – I mean, the heat – Shot 50% from three, three times in that series. Yes. And it did that three times all season. Like, you're going to have to be <laughs> on one of those miraculous heaters for this thing to work. And the Nuggets are going to have, like, you may be able to do the Allen Iverson 01 Lakers game one rust. They're not taking me seriously. Steal the first game situation. That is probably your only hope. But you saw, saw you tweeted. I saw it. The Heat looks spent in the first three <laughs> minutes of the first quarter of Game 7. <laughs> yo, people were telling me, they were like, yo, that tweet didn't age well. I'm like, no, that tweet was time-specific. They looked yeah. beat. <laughs> no, that was – that was. I think the Celtics lost that game. It was 9-4 to four for like four minutes, and the Heat could not do anything with that basket. And that Celtics also could not do it. That, that game should have been 17-4 to four by the time the Heat woke up. But that it stuck. It stayed at nine four, and I was like, "Oh, this, this is getting this is scary for Boston." And the Heat just got got themselves together once they felt like, "Oh, this team is not really doing what we thought they would do at home." They were off to the races, but they came out looking like they were tired, and Boston let them off the hook. Yo, I mean, I feel like I have nothing new to say about them. I don't know, like, <laughs> like whether they hit one or lost game seven. I feel like we had had an opportunity to say everything there was to say about Boston in advance of that. And now I feel so bad for Jalen Brown in the sense that he the test case for this super duper contract. Yeah. The numbers <laughs> unlike any that we have ever seen. It's like when how Rod Williams got the biggest contract in NBA history, right? Like mm -hmm. he he is this guy with this money out here that just to be clear, because of the nature of the way things work, he's actually he's worth that money, right? Like they yeah. wouldn't put a cap uh -huh. on it if he wasn't worth that money. Like in in broad right. theory, he's worth that money. Except no, he not. He is, but That's he's not. That's the thing with these owners. This is what the owners wanted. This is what you wanted, right? I want to be able to pay my guy as much as I can to keep him on my team. Cool. Now pay the guy as much as you can to keep him on your team. And now you're like, I don't know about all that. But that's the only way you're going to keep him, right? So, yeah, it's, again, it's the it's the championship tax. Like, are you really paying Jalen Brown $60 million or are you paying, you know, a tax? But also, yeah. I think you got to pay him to just at least have him locked up under contract so you can move him somewhere, you know, so you can move him. Well, they got no choice but to extend him. They're basically your, your options are extend him or trade him. Those yeah. are those are your choices because what you can't do is not extend him and bring him back. Yeah. Yeah. That's a disaster. That's yeah. that's that that oh boy, no, 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 no. We've seen and this he happen. already has a lot of disdain for that organization. Yes, clearly. Yes. <laughs> he yes. already feels disrespected, whether it's justified or not. That he was in trade talks with Kevin Durant, yes. but he still <laughs> is like upset Look, about that. As as much as people criticize the Thunder for what they got back in the James Harden trade, mm -hmm. what they recognized was we got to get this dude out of here. Like we don't yeah. have this leverage. Like Daryl Morey is the sort of dude that try to sit on that leverage and all oh, Ben Simmons come back around or whatever. Nah, 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 nah. Sometimes you got to look up and realize we got to get this dude up out of here. Like this yeah. is this is not going to be it. What I don't know with him though is what you can get. Like, what does the league think about him? Because I feel like when you call these front offices, one thing they're going to tell you is, you know, our advanced metrics are not nearly as high on him as everybody <laughs> yeah. else is. Yeah, I have a I have a non-advanced metric for you. He can't dribble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that ain't. When's, when's the last time that was your legitimate criticism of an NBA player? That's you know that's what I was I was asking the question. I, me and Dominique were doing this. I was asking the question like it. I mean, I don't. I've never trained. I don't know how to be get better at a basketball player. But dribbling seems like the thing that you can fix. You know, like that seems like the thing that you can go in the lab and be like, I can dribble now. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't understand. Like after the finals last year, when the Warriors were like, Oh wait, he can't go left. He can't dribble. Oh, easy. We got this dude figured out. And he like that's when you go in the offseason and be like, Let me work on those things. And you came back and you seem to be worse at dribbling than you were last year. I don't understand that. No, oh, that's, I mean, 
I, I'm trying to find a way to blame this on generations and not playing no ball on concrete no more. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like know, back uh, in the day, you could never get this far without having a handle. You know, I, I profiled Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf once, and he told me that he learned, you know, he's from Mississippi also, That's, you know, got to shout that out. But he learned how to dribble because he would walk, he would dribble from his house on cobblestones and just be like, wherever the ball goes, I just got to get it. And he would just dribble on cop. That's how you learn how to dribble. Like, folks ain't doing that. We ain't outside like that, you know? So I don't know how you get to the league without being able to dribble, but you should be able to fix it. It's, well, what you would have is, like, when Harrison Barnes got to Carolina, I figured mm. out pretty quickly why it was the high school Harrison Barnes was not the college Harrison Barnes. He had high school handle, right? Right. And so once he got to college, and by the way, Jason Tatum has a bit of this in him too, mm. which is if Barnes dribbled forward, he was going to the basket. Yeah. If he dribbled kind of in place, it was going to be a jumper. Mm -hmm. But what he couldn't do was like the inside out element of it. Yeah. That mm -hmm. part wasn't there. And with Tatum, I feel like that too. Like if Tatum decides he's going to the basket, not just like a setup dribble, but like he's going yeah. forward, then he's going to the rim or it's going to be nothing. Right. Like they, like there's a subtlety to the handle to be able to change gears with the handle that I feel like a lot of guys, or not even a lot of guys, but these guys in particular don't have, except Jalen Brown's out here just dribbling off his foot. And for what it's worth, yeah. Jason Tatum did a lot of dribbling off his foot too, but I took that less his inability to dribble in them games than being shook. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, man. These are things, I mean, I, I think about Steph, I think about Steph, like obviously it's a, it's a hard comparison to make because it's Steph, but like he came in the league running off of screens, man, and like dribbling as well. That, that handle came later in his career and it's getting better every season. Like, Go find that guy who's training him. Go find the people. Tatum wants to do like the I'm Kobe, whatever. All, every offseason, there was something that new that he had. Go get the new thing and come back. Yeah. Now, want to get to this uh, Anscape rap podcast that you're going to be doing. You told us we got 12 albums. You're interviewing artists around them. Can you give us some hints about what albums we're going to be dealing with? Okay, so I've been doing, I've been dropping, uh, you know, daily some of these uh, albums that we're doing. All right, who uh, we got so, so far? I don't want to get ahead of you. Okay, so we got big. We go, I'm going order. We got Big Crit doing um, "Forever Is a Mighty Long Time." Hmm, interesting we choice. Got, yeah, we got, we got, and I'll, and I'll tell you about these choices in a little bit. I got Too Short doing "Life Is Too Short." We got MC Light doing "Light As a Rock." We got Little Brother doing the listening. All three. We got Fontaine Big and rapper Big Pooh. Got it. Doing the listening. We got Goody Mob doing Soul Food. We got The Locks doing Money, Power, Respect. We got Currency doing Pilot Talk. We got Young Guru doing American Gangster. And we got Freddie Gibbs doing Bandana. And we got uh, Wiz Khalifa doing Cushion OJ. We got Ja Rule doing Rule 336. And we got Bun B doing Too Hard to Swallow. Okay. That last one is going to be very, very interesting. For I knew that I knew that was gonna get I was gonna pique your interest for, on the last for, one. For a number of reasons. Okay. So I want to go back because there was a couple that I heard that kind of got me. One, what I find interesting in this, and I do think that you ran a gamut of the timeline, but it mm. does jump out to me, me knowing you and your background working the smoking section and stuff like this. It's blog era heavy, right? Oh, like, yes. like I feel yes. like this is you this and I'm actually glad to hear that. Cause I was a little nervous because the way it was put to be at first is that it was going to be all nineties. And I was kind of like, with all due respect, a little young for that. <laughs> I ain't old enough for that and all that stuff. But yeah, the blog, I mean, part of it comes to, part of it is like, I, these are people I want to talk to, right? These are folks I know I want to talk to. And also it's like, we got to book some talent and I'm yes. going to reach out to the folks who I came up with and we're going to have these conversations. So Fonte was the first person I called. They greenlit this. I said, Fonte, let's do it. Let, like, I'm not doing this without you. Let's record this thing first. And he was down for it. I mean, he's, he's been like my guy since the beginning. And we've, you know, he's rolled out for me. I wrote out for him. And like, I was just like, we're going to reach, we're going to get to the folks, folks who came up with Freddie Gibbs obviously came up with the smoking section together. Uh, and, you know, watched him from the beginning currency. I was out in new Orleans trying to get my feet wet and I would run the currency and give me content. And I was covering those shows and all that stuff. So it was like, we're going to get these folks in the blog era. So it was about a quarter of these episodes of blog era people that we that I you know I wasn't gonna do it without him. Now, forever is a mighty long time. The reason that jumped out to me is like to me, the best of the career projects is return for re return of forever. But the mm. if I were doing this, and I'm not obviously, uh -huh. but if I were, 
Crit was here is the one that I would just jump on just because for me, at least, and you were up on Crit probably a lot earlier than I mm-hmm. was, but that was the mind. Like I was doing a sports podcast. I mean, a sports radio show and was like, I'm interviewing this guy and putting it out digital only just yeah. so I could talk to him on, on the strength of Crit was here. So Big Crit, I was with, so here's how I got introduced to Big Crit. I was doing at the time, it was 2009, I was doing uh, this radio show with this guy, uh, Emilio Sparks, not from uh, not state property, Emilio Sparks, the other Emilio Sparks out in, in uh, Staten Island. And he was um, out there, you know, hanging out with Johnny Shipes, the cinematic music group and all that stuff. And so I was talking to him. I talked to him about some of the folks they were working with, Stally and all that stuff. And they said, David, you from Mississippi. There's this dude named Big Crit. you got to hear his music. And I heard Crit was here. And I was like, oh, this is it. This is the guy. And I ran back, virtually ran back, you know, uh, to the spoken section offices. And I was like, look, Crit is that guy. This project is the project. And I actually did a huge interview with Crit for Crit Was Here, uh, track by track interview, one of the longest things I did, the smoking section, and talked him through it. I talked to every every song on the album and just wrote about it. And I mean, Crit is like, I mean, and it's been up since then. I mean, I, I, every project pretty much has been better than the last. I mean, I love Digital Roaches Don't Die that came out last year. And this, the conversation I had with Crit was one of my favorites. I mean, it was just like two guys, just like from the same background, same age, roughly just chopping it up about a project that I, that I love. No, he's talking to him about just about anything, but the music in particular yeah. is just always, there's such a care, you know what I mean? Right. Like, like, like he's so thoughtful in the way that he goes about doing all of this and everything that he's done at every turn. And in the name of making good music, which I think is a mm-hmm. very, very important thing, man. Because, I mean, old dude like me, it sounds whack when you say it, but the truth, this is the truth, though, that the clout is more accessible than ever and easier mm-hmm. to get with less good music that people who are just really leaning in on the idea. Like, the thing I do like about this era that kind of gets lost is it's harder to get filthy, stinking rich than ever, but it's probably easier right. if you super dope and decide to lean into a lane to make a living. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And I think... Yeah, and I think um that's that's the that's the thing the currency's done. I mean, that's currency's thing. It's just like I'm this is gonna be my my lane and I'm going to make music for people who smoke weed for fun. You know, like and I don't think enough is said about the way that him and Wiz Khalifa sort of changed the trajectory of how we talk about marijuana and hip hop. You know, like it was the accoutrement of gangster stuff, right? I'm smoking weed right now, my homies. But currency was like, no, nah, I'm gonna smoke like he has a line. On pilot talk, where he's like, uh, you know, basically smoking weed, play an 82 game season on live. I mean, on uh, 2K, and it's like, yeah, man, everybody does that. <laughs> and it's just like a little country. It's like almost like a accessibility that like country music has, where it's like, I'm just gonna ride my pickup truck and do this thing. But currency and Wiz Khalifa did that for a different sort of group of folks. And you talk about the musicality with somebody like Crit, like that's really what the podcast is about. It's about like we are diving into this one album. What were you doing in creating this piece of art? Like we got Ja Rule, one of the I I wanted Ja Rule just about as bad as anybody because nobody talks to him about the music. Everybody's talking about, about 50 Cent and Firefest and all that stuff. Let's just talk about you writing lyrics down and you creating this piece of art and how it's aged for you. Now, you said that UGK is too hard to swallow, which for those of you who don't know is the First national UGK release comes out in 92, heavily based on a tape I want to say they put out in 88 called The Southern Mm -hmm. Way. A lot of Mm -hmm. those tracks wound up making it over, which is wild, by the way, if you know anything about how rapidly hip-hop was evolving. Forget between 88 and 92, between the first half of 88 and the second half of 88, right? Between 89 (laughs) and 90, everything jumps so fast, but they have put together tracks in 1988 that could still Mm -hmm. stand up in 1992 but why did you go with that one because i think most people who know ugk would probably think that you would either go with riding dirty or with super tight but you went with the first one so the thing about about this is that i didn't want to go for the most part i didn't want to go with the like widely accepted classics or the ones that we all talk about right i didn't want to do like you know, if we were going to do Nas, I wouldn't do Illmatic, right? I wouldn't do, I would do like Godson or something like that. Like, because I wanted to talk about projects that, you know, it, it this all sort of started about like when Jay-Z, I remember Jay-Z ranking his albums, right? Um, about 10 years ago. And I was like, why would Jay-Z even put out an album 
that he doesn't think is his best album ever. And then I understood it and I wrote a book and I was like, oh no, you just put out stuff that's imperfect and you love it, but you love it in a different way, right? And so what I wanted to do was not just talk about the projects that everybody, that they just love unconditionally and think it's perfect from top to bottom. And so Too Hard to Swallow was fascinating to me because it's like Bun B talking about being a kid. You know, like we think about Bun B and Pimp C as the, the perennial old heads, the wise sages of hip hop, the uncles, but like to talk to Bun B about what it was like to be a kid in hip hop coming up and doing your first album and you hang, you know, you're at your mom's crib and you've made these projects that are sample heavy in 88. And then your record labels, like we can't clear any of these things <laughs> that you're, that we're trying to do. And we're going to just change it. And you're going to have to live with it. And Bun B, like the thing that struck about the album is their voices. Their voices were so different. They were rapping in this cadence that was like, you don't think about Pimp C and Bun B's voice. So like, to me, it was about like just these projects that, they have emotional ties to, but are not necessarily the actual go-to that we always, you know, link them to. But it's also interesting to me thinking about that album, particularly from UGK, because I guess you are a little younger than me, but I think that you can still pick up on this, and this is important. Rap didn't get everywhere at the same time. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right? Houston and the surrounding area, we ain't get there early. Right. Mm-hmm. And like Atlanta... Atlanta was a hip hop city from Planet Rock on. Like Atlanta right. got there early on that. New Orleans, even, mm-hmm. I think, doesn't get nearly enough credit for being like an early adopter in rap. But when you watch The Last Dance and Michael Jordan's in there listening to Kenny Lattimore, <laughs> rap, rap ain't get to Wilmington right. like that. Mm-hmm. And so I always mm-hmm. wonder what it's like. Like when he talks about, you know, Bun did an interview once with uh, the God, John Caramonica, where he was mm-hmm. talking about trying to explain to his mama that, you know, people don't really buy Southern records. He's like, well, people buy James Brown records. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like the concept and the idea of I'm doing a rap album, telling somebody that's what you're going to do in Port Arthur is not right. the same as telling somebody that that's what you were going to do if you were in New York. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that and that was like one of the cool things about like Too Short had a similar story. I mean, you think about the Bay Area as, you know, a hub of hip hop, but Too Short was sort of like, look, ain't nobody else really out here doing this. <laughs> you know, we got to figure this out. And I think the thing about Port Arthur which was fascinating. It was like I was born in Lafayette. So like they have that same sort of small town adjacent to this other bigger town, but we have our own culture also. And obviously that Houston, Port Arthur, Lafayette, New Orleans, you know, trajectory all the way up to Jackson is 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 clear. And so yeah, it's it's I, I love the idea of like these folks, even from back then in 92, the blog era folks did the same thing. It was like there is something here that we got to figure out and we just going to create it on our own. And I think that was sort of the beauty of, of, of a lot of these folks that we, that we talked to. Now, now the beauty of rap, and I think it's would be fun in listening to what you're talking about where things get tricky now is you got an idea now what you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that did not really exist before. Even when you talk about the blog, Eric Katz, it was, this is what we supposed to be comma, but. And right. now mm-hmm. we take this, you know, into another place and we started putting stuff together. Now everybody sounds like they're from Atlanta. And mm-hmm. like, like we we have standardized the rap in such a way where it's just kind of like, er, like that's the thing about you talk about doing bandana with Freddie Gibbs. It's interesting to me, like the, the mad libs of the world and like what you hear mm-hmm. coming out of the Griselda stuff that can, to me, feel very reminiscent of a particular like basement 90s sort of aesthetic. It is new, though, but it still feels very it feels like comfortingly retro. Like I put together yeah, a list for yeah. a guy I used to work with. Cause he was all in the Griselda and had to give him some grindy, East, grimy East coast, 90 stuff and do like some Scarface stuff in there. Cause these cats really right. thought it had never been done before. You know, like mm-hmm. they thought that this was first. And it's like, nah, this is kind of what it was all the time. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, hip hop has always benefited from these seismic shifts. Right. And I think like they're probably, I mean, from my age, it's probably never been a seismic shift. Like when DMX showed up. Right. And it was like, we're doing the bad boy thing and the shiny suit and DMX like, nah, we're doing, we're taking it to the streets and we're changing the course of hip hop right now. And I think right now it would be really refreshing for that seismic shift, but the, but who's going to look at the landscape of hip hop and say, I'm going to do something that's totally different and make it popular enough that we're going in a whole different direction. And it's hard to do that because people are, like you said, people are comfortable. It's easier to be comfortable than it was you know, years ago when folks was try- were trying to eat. Well, think about this. And I know we're getting toward the end here, but Drake been the number one dude in the game mm. for how long? 
long time. Two thousand so far gone came out in two thousand nine, and the and only he's been person pretty close that, since then. And, and the only person to try to take him down was in his mid forties, like legitimately. Right. <laughs> I guess right. me kind of sort of did, but not really. But you ain't supposed to be up. It's not supposed to be like that. Yeah, and that's not on Drake. That's not on Drake himself, though. I guess it's how you kids were raised, but you know, like, <laughs> like it ain't supposed to be that, right? Yeah. Somebody, to me, honestly, been supposed to come up and be like, "We off hip hop, we done, right. we coming mm -hmm. up with something else." Like that's that's what this is supposed to be at this point, and it hasn't gotten to that point. So I'll be in hearing the topics, you know, the albums that you talk about running through. For me, it'll be very interesting to listen, just because all of them, in their own ways we're making a change, right? Even mm -hmm. if it was like subtle or just part of something else, but it was a change rather than just another dot in the mosaic, like another place right. in the game. There were adjustments that come off of what we're talking about, you know, and what you're describing in that. So this sounds like a real interesting series. Yeah, it's, it, was, it was like incredibly fun. It was incredibly cool to just pick their brains and just like figure things out. I mean, dude, talk to Goody Mob about soul food, man. Like, come on now, <laughs> you know, and, and they were changed. They changed a lot. They changed Atlanta. They changed, you know, they had brothers reading all kinds of different things. Back for better then. or worse. Like they, for better or worse. <laughs> I was going to say that part, but they had brothers picking up some sort of books that they were reading. And they were just, you know, changing landscapes, man. And I, and I think you're right. Like the thing that all these albums have in common is that they were either seismic shifts in a personal career or in the landscape of hip hop itself. And just like getting to these folks to open up about it. And what was most fascinating was them to talk about like, this thing, I don't like this thing that's out of it. It could be like some people just be real uh, minuscule. Some people be huge. Some people didn't like anything, but it's just like engaging with the arc. So often rappers are like, my next album's coming out. It's the best thing I've ever done. And it's like, it's probably not. And so you, when you have time, you can sort of have an accurate assessment of it. Yeah, man. But hey, that is David Dennis. Check him out. Tell him the name of the podcast again, because I don't want to have to read it. Rap Stories. It's called Rap Stories. It's everywhere that podcasts are available. Go ahead and listen to it. All 12 episodes drop June 1st. June 1st. All right, my man. I greatly appreciate you. And don't worry, the Warriors will be back in October. Yeah, all the way through June. So they'll be around. We'll, we'll be talking Warriors next next you, year. You, 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 you couldn't even muster fake <laughs> optimism about that one. You're like, yeah, all the way through June. Mm. Yeah, we got it. Yeah, you know, move, pool around, do some things. Kamiga's <laughs> gonna show up. Moody's gonna, 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 you know, third year. It's always a third year where these players get, get, you know, where they need to be. Don't worry about it. Got you. <laughs> but hey, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on the right time. We do this, and thanks for watching us on YouTube. We do this three times a week. Adi Khan, Dance Dancing, and Park Owens handling everything behind the scenes. Thank you, gentlemen. Remember, follow the right time. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. And we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy. Thanks for checking out The Right Time with Bomani Jones Podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Right Time with Bomani Jones.